I'm an 80s kid, obviously. Unashamed 80s kid. Saw Breakfast Club in the theaters. Kind of had hair like Anthony Michael Hall's. Not that I like to see pictures of it back then. And there's a lot of things I remember about 80s food too. You know, the Cola Wars, Coke Classic, New Coke, McDonald's pizza, the gum in a pack of hockey cards. I guess that's older than the 70s. and It's older than the 80s, but still remember that Nerds Big League Chew. Do you remember that one? That was something I ate a lot of back in the day. Chewed a lot of. Now imagine hopping on a time machine of a food truck and taking a trip down edible memory lane into the 80s. Well, that's exactly what Adam Richman of Man vs. Food fame has done now. His new series is called Adam Eats the 80s. It debuted debuted tonight. It's on at 10 and 10.30 on History here in BC, if you're still interested. And he joins me now to tell me all about it. Adam, great to have you here. (laughs) It's my absolute pleasure. (laughs) So tell me a bit about the inspiration, because I grew up in the 80s, so I think back to all the things we did and ate that uh, you just wouldn't be allowed to do today, but it must have been fun to take that trip back in time. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, when you stop and you realize the 80s were the last decade we had before the internet, where the mall was our chat room and our homepage, and it's also the decade that birthed the microwave where Ronald Reagan said that you could advertise directly to children so you could have cartoon tie-ins and video game tie-ins with crazy cereals. You had a generation of latchkey kids, the first generation where two parents were, were working. And, you know, as society really went through this momentous period of change and so did technology, the foods were obviously going to follow suit. And the coolest thing for me, I guess is being that I lived through it, is how do I get my fellow 80s babies to go, oh, I love that and feel that sense of nostalgia, and how do I get people that had no personal connection to the decade to either you know think the food's delicious or think that the stories are cool? I think the stories are great. I mean, I remember vividly being a Montreal Expos fan. I grew up in Montreal. When Big League Chew came out, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. Because it was the coolest thing. <laughs> it was the coolest thing. And you do a great background on exactly where it came from. Because the story behind it is an entrepreneurial story for the ages. Absolutely. And like, you know, I think as we were saying, it just shows what a small world it is and how the craziest paths can intersect. I mean, a relief pitcher, you know, on playing on a team that's owned by Kurt Russell's father that Kurt Russell himself ends up playing for briefly, um, sees a 14-year-old bat boy eating some shredded something out of a pouch, says, hey, I know your mom. She'd kill you. Don't chew tobacco. He said, no, no, it's just licorice. I shredded it to look like I could be a big leaguer. And then he and another relief pitcher, Jim Bouton, say, you know, I hate chewing tobacco too, but what if we shredded bubble gum? And they thought of the name right there in the bullpen. He happened to go to a doctor's office, find an issue of People Magazine advertising, you know, candy kits and chewing gum kits. And he went to the home of her real name, Candy Field, to create the first ever batch of Big League Chew. And I'm just like you. I mean, you could share it. It was different than other gum. You could take a big old wad of it and jam it in your cheek. <laughs> you blow the biggest bubbles, and uh, you know for about two and a half minutes, it had the best flavor in the world. Yeah, the flavor went away really fast, if I remember cor- correctly. Oh yes, but, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, like lightning. 
but yeah, it's, it's also that amazing story about how this product that as a kid in the eighties, you ate and, and had no, I had no idea who Kirk, you know, who Kurt Russell was. I certainly didn't know who Todd Field, the movie director, whose mom you're talking about was. And so there's sort of the stars collided over this product that we just sort of thought, wow, this is the coolest stuff. Exactly right. And I think that that's the coolest thing. You know, you could look at these foods that went on to become iconic, like Panda Express and their orange chicken. And it was crazy for me alone to think that orange chicken was something that one man invented. It seems like the rock of Gibraltar, like it's been here forever. But to think that one man, while trying to take a Taiwanese dish, make it fit for American tastes, and then at the same time, there's a little restaurant in Burbank, California called the Panda Inn. One of their loyal customers goes on to open the Glendale Galleria and says, yeah, there's this new thing called the mall. Would you like to be part of it? And could you do a scaled-down concept of your restaurant, the Panda Inn? which they call the Panda Express, and they now open one every few days, still family-owned. And I think that, for me, I don't look at the dining landscape the same way, you know, as I did after making this show. And personally, I'm a sucker for all the stuff we do with the uh, old infomercials. And uh, I got a chance to try out the Ginsu knife commercial. Oh, the Ginsu knife, man, cutting through that can. I thought that yes. was amazing. I didn't know yes, anyone I, who I didn't know anyone who owned one though. Exactly right. Yeah, you cut I cut the can, then I cut the tomato. The funniest thing is we found a set from the eighties and it's technically still under warranty. <laughs> <laughs> and we did the juice man juicer, Ron Popeel's egg scrambler, the whole shebang. Those were the days. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in front of that TV watching those things. I didn't ever order anything, though. They were more entertaining than they were useful, I guess, in some extent. I mean, I buy more now online. It's easier. <laughs> what, are some of the, what are some of the other things? Because you looked into some of the candies that you definitely would not be able to sell today. I mean, I remember Popeye cigarettes, obviously, vividly. Yes, yes, yes. Candy cigarettes. Well, that's just one of them. Candy cigarettes, chocolate cigars. We uh, met a guy in Augusta, Georgia, uh, named Russ Vandiver, and he has a collection of what he calls extreme candy through the ages. And this is candy in trash cans, candy in coffins, candy in guns and hypodermic needles, candy in grenades, uh, candy snot that you picked out of a plastic nose, candy called barfos that would throw up the candy. It's just, you know, I think that um, as much as you had one side, like Ronald Reagan. Uh, saying that it was going to be this return to traditional conservative American values, you had a counterculture growing with that. So while the main culture was Cabbage Patch Kids in the 80s, the counterculture answered with Garbage Pail Kids. So you had both of those, and we get a chance to explore them both. And uh, so that was really tremendous. And then I think even little things like – trying like i say the domino's breakfast pizza the Priazzo from pizza hut like dishes that didn't make it out of the decade that kind of stuff i found very very cool i'm speaking with adam richmond whose name i know you'll know from uh but host of the new history channel show adam eats the 80s a tour back to that great decade uh before the internet before cell phones back to that time i mean you're a food guy what was it about the 80s that was so different i mean i remember the 70s we had sort of like jello and kind of it was sort of like (laughs) the beginning of really processed food but the 80s kind of took it one step into like some strange phantasmagoria of food Um, well you know i think you had like i say the advent of the microwave was you know something unheralded 
And again, you know, with divorce rate rising, uh, women entering the workplace, um, a third, you know, we had one third increase in white collar workers. So you had businesses trying to get that lunchtime rush and doing things, um, home-based foods or microwave-based foods, trying to appeal to kids who would come home to an empty house because both of their parents might be working. Um, all of that, uh, you know, was, was pretty massive. But you also didn't have the sort of educated diner that you did now. You know, the paleo, keto, vegan, Whole30, that was not a thing. People became more diet conscious for the latter half of the decade. But you could sort of, it was about flavor first and, you know, ingredients and food composition really didn't come to later. But also little things like, for example, uh, cattle ranchers were carrying a massive amount of debt into the 80s from the 70s. They had to sell off huge swaths of their herd, which meant there was less cattle, beef was more expensive. So suddenly chicken found its way onto fast food menus. So you began seeing the McNugget in 83, Burger King chicken tenders in 86, Roy Rogers crazy wings in about 85. And that's not an accident. And I love the fact that we can trace how events of the world and events of the time ended up shaping what we were eating, drinking, and enjoying. I mean, I could talk about, being a child of the 80s, I could talk about this all day. But, but uh if you look back at that time, I mean, I think I always look back to that area. Big League Chew, I'm so glad you hit on that one because that was one of my <laughs> ultimate 80s ones. You know, I remember things like the McDonald's pizza. That was another big, another big one back in the day. McRib, I remember that one too. Of that course kind of one. Came and went. Any favorites yeah. of yours, Adam? Did you have any, like when you started through this series, did, were there any particular ones that you absolutely wanted to find out about? There was some that I wanted to find out about that unfortunately we just didn't get a chance to. Like there's Ben and Jerry's flavors. They People don't realize Ben and Jerry's, the ice cream maker out of Vermont, they have a graveyard that they bury flavors that they no longer continue. <laughs> I had no so idea. I have this like image like Carrie, like the yeah. arm breaks through the earth but with a pint of ice cream in it. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to do that. I loved Hostess pudding pies and all these little, little snacks. But for me um, – that like little things like recreating Coca-Cola with sugar as opposed to high fructose corn syrup, recreating the original McDonald's French fries, even um, speaking. The other thing is like as someone who has a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit in the food space to meet the two men that created nerds candy, for example, and to find out how, how inspiration struck and how, they saw the leftover bits of broken candy from creating the Willy Wonka everlasting gobstopper, decided to coat it with a shell and some flavor and some color. And his kids, one of the creator's children, named them nerds. The graphic designer used to doodle these little fat figurines all over his desk. And that became the sort of depiction of the nerds on the package. And here are these two men in Chicago that work at food labs and very interesting and very studious. And you'd never stop and think, oh, wow, they created candy of the year in 1984, these brightly colored, crunchy, sweet things called nerds. And that's that's the stuff I mean. I, 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 I personally am still holding out for maybe another like special where I could do the hostess pudding pie. Uh-huh. But, uh, I, I absolutely loved it. And plus, I got a chance to try regional stuff. I mean – I remember when I filmed another show at the Calgary Stampede and I got to go 
get my first Tim Hortons coffee and go to my first A&W and things right. that I didn't get to do. And I think for me, uh, trying a um, an 80s chain that's been revitalized in Southern California, even though, you know, I'm a New Yorker, I could capture some of that excitement and see what it did to the community and how enthralled they were to have that brand back. Adam Richmond, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to seeing all the other episodes and hopefully you can do another season so you can tackle all those ones that, uh, that you didn't get to. I would love to. There's a good chance we might actually be doing the set. I'm 100% all for it. Thanks so much, Adam. Thank you.